and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For a number of years, one of the Stewardship Commission's goals was to work with the Worship Commission to plan one or more Sundays with a stewardship theme. It was a nice sounding goal, but for various reasons did not take place until this year when Pastor Todd finally called my bluff. (laughs) So here I am, and fortunately I've got some helpers. Along with me, you'll hear from Herb Knoll and Dottie and Clayton Charles. We're talking about stewardship of our money, and it's a topic that we've approached gingerly, at least in the churches in which I've been involved. At East Chestnut Street, it feels a bit like preaching to the choir, as I've witnessed your generosity in many, many ways. So I'm going to start out in comfortable territory with some numbers, which I work with every day. Some numbers about giving in the United States. So based on the percentage of gross domestic product, the U.S. is easily the most generous nation. Annual giving represents 1.44% of GDP. Canada is second at 0.77%, and the U.K. is third at 54%. About 67% of all money raised goes to charity, and the remainder goes to administrative and fundraising costs. 40% of all charitable contributions go to religious causes. It's 128 billion annually. The next highest categories are education and human services. The most generous state is, anyone guess? Utah. Yeah, you you understand why now, right? Yes, Utah. Residents give on an average 6.6% of their income. The next highest states based on percentage are Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia. At the end of the spectrum is New Hampshire, where residents give 1.7% of their income. During the Great Depression, U.S. residents donated 3.3% of their income. Today, it's 2.5%. Nearly one-third of all annual giving occurs in December, with 10% of of that occurring in the last three days of the year. Nonprofits receive, on average, $42 per 1,000 fundraising emails sent. This explains why your inbox is full. Well, enough with the numbers. Uh, I'm going to transition to, I guess, what I'll call some random musings. So some of these are inspired by a book I I recently read called Radical Generosity by M.J. Ryan. And the closest I could get to a theme in all of these was the idea of a cheerful or joyful giver. And when I think of that phrase, uh, it immediately takes me back to the living room of the farmhouse where I grew up. I'm sitting in the the living room listening to the giant console stereo and the medical mission sisters are singing, God loves a cheerful giver 
give it all you got. That, you all remember some of that? Yeah. But, but think, about, think about this. Do you ever see generous givers who are unhappy? Are they happy so they give or does giving make them happy? Well, here's random using number one. We are inherently generous. Yes, selfishness may seem to be a built-in feature of humans, but so is consideration. Generosity is not so much taught, it is cultivated. It's a stream that can flow freely if we abandon the attitudes that reinforce our possessive aspects. Number two, giving is a great mood elevator. We talk a lot about the mood elevator at my workplace and how it impacts our decisions and interactions with others. At the bottom of the elevator, you're feeling depressed, angry, stressed out. As you move up the elevator, you reach the midpoint, which is feeling curious and interested. Moving on up, you reach patient, appreciative, hopeful, to the very top, which is grateful. Helping others really is a feel-good pill. I'm sure you've experienced that. So recognize when you're low on the mute elevator and remember that making someone else happy is the fastest way to create happiness for yourself. Let it be easy. Let giving be easy. I love this quote from a British conservationist, Gerald Durrell. He says, anybody who's got any pleasure at all should try to give something back. Life is like a superlative meal and the world is like the maitre d'. What I am doing is leaving the equivalent of a reasonable tip. I'm not such a big fan of that saying, give until it hurts. If you think of giving as tipping, it feels pretty easy. So ask yourself, what could you do that would be easy for you? It may or not be money, may, may or may not be money, but what would be easy for you to give? It might not seem like much, but it keeps that stream of generosity flowing. True giving means letting go of control. There's a quote from Elizabeth Babesco, blessed are those who can give without remembering. One of the clear trends in the past 20 years I've witnessed is that donors want a better understanding of how their gifts will be used. They want to direct those gifts and see the results. This is not a bad thing. We wanna make sure our giving has a positive impact. But true giving says, here, take this and do what you think you should with it. We let go of what we think they should do with it. When we put conditions on giving, we miss out on wholehearted receiving. I've seen positive examples of this on nonprofits that I've served and here at East Chestnut Street. Someone will give a generous donation and include a note that says, Use this wherever it is needed most. They are giving unconditionally, and it is a true gift to the receiver. Pass it on to your kids. I'm not sure how old I was when my father started paying me for work on the farm, but I do remember the crisp $20 bills that he paid me with. And I knew that I should put some of that in the offering plate that had been clearly demonstrated by my parents. 
I also remember wondering what I should do if all I had was that $20 when the offering plate came around. Surely I couldn't give the whole thing. I'll just have to remember and catch up later when I have a few ones. A lot of tools available today to make giving easier. We can do it electronically and schedule it through recurring payments. But I think it is important to keep some physical connection with your giving. Passing the offering basket is part of our worship. Seeing my parents put something in that offering plate every Sunday had more impact on me than anything they could have said. So find a way, even a small one, to be involved in that part of worship. Surprise someone. In my role as a manager, I'm responsible for making decisions on salary raises and promotions. In many of these situations, it's not a surprise to the employee. They may have requested the raise or promotion and suggested they might leave the bank without it. It's always a pleasure to reward good employees, but the true joy in communicating a raise or promotion is when the recipient is not expecting it. Their reaction makes my mood elevator soar. Surprising someone is a particularly delightful way of giving. So try this sometime. Research a local charity that you have never given to before. Walk into their office with a generous donation and hand it over with no strings attached. Your mood elevator will soar too. And finally, look at our generosity teachers. We're getting an opportunity to do that today. When I asked Herb, Dottie, and Clayton to share, I gave them a list of questions for them to consider. Where did you grow up and how do you think your childhood shaped you? Can you name something that your parents or someone else important in your life taught you about giving that has served you well? What particular causes or organizations are you passionate about? How does giving make you feel? What motivates you to give and how have your giving patterns changed over the years? And how do you think the church should encourage giving? And finally, do you have any advice on life, learning and success that you can share? Dottie and Clayton couldn't be here in person, but they invited me into their home to do a video recording, which we'll see in a moment. But first, let's hear from her. Becky and I have always had an interest in stewardship. One of the hymns at our wedding was God is here among us. We appreciate a lot of the words in that hymn, but verse three, God, we gladly offer thine to be forever. Soul and life and each endeavor was our favorite. Personal finance and budgeting are hobbies of mine. Recently, we've been purging uh, in preparation for the move three weeks ago. And uh, I went through the attic and I actually went through boxes of budget books complete with all the receipts from 46 years of marriage. I destroyed the receipts, but I saved the budget books. 
Becky and I grew up with strong stewardship models. I will tell two stories to explain. Becky was part of a large active youth group at New Danville Mennonite Church. A popular custom of the day was for someone from the church to offer a plot of land to raise vegetables. This was called the Lord's Acre. Since these kids were energetic, Becky's youth group agreed to plant two acres of tomatoes each year. It's a lot of work to plant, weed, and harvest two acres of tomatoes, but it gave plenty of opportunity for the group to work together. The tomatoes were harvested, sold, and the proceeds were given to the mission program of Lancaster Conference. I grew up on a poultry, beef, and hog farm in Roarstown. My parents decided to set up a mini poultry enterprise for me. We purchased a mini chicken house from my grandfather. The building was large enough to hold 150 broilers. My dad equipped it with everything needed to raise the chicks to plump, ready-to-eat chickens. The house had electricity, a small feed bin, and a water fountain without running water. I had to feed and water the chickens twice a day. We paid to have the chickens slaughtered by Bishop Raymond Charles. We sold the fresh dressed chickens to family and friends. We went through this process four times each year and had standing orders for all 600 chickens. 100% of the profits went to, you guessed it, the mission program of Lancaster Conference. I never had a problem accepting the idea that there was no spending money for me from this project because all of what I needed came from the family farm income. I find joy in seeing stewardship practiced in our children and grandchildren. Our nine and 11 year old grandsons in Harrisonburg are learning to care for money and the environment. Recently, the city of Harrisonburg discontinued picking up recyclables. So these two young guys asked if they could do something in response. They started Noel Brothers Recycling, complete with printed t-shirts. Their only expenses are the t-shirts, recycling bins, mostly they're using the ones from the previous service, and paying their mother to haul the bins to the recycle center. They use the three jar system of handling money. Give, save, spend. Give 10%, save 20%, spend 70%. All three jars have better than average activity thanks to the, their Friends of the Environment project. My parents spent their last years in a cottage at Landis Homes. They were very careful all their lives with handling money and I learned a lot from them. They didn't use a three jar system, but they were firm believers in East Chestnut Street's offering envelope system. All 52 envelopes were used every year. When my dad could no longer drive here to church, I'd bring his offering envelope for him every week. When he died suddenly in January of 2015, he had already filled four envelopes for the month with cash and I brought them here for him. As Rod said, he gave us 10 questions to consider. I won't answer all 10 of them, but I will comment on a few. Can you think of a particular gift 
that made you feel especially joy. Thanksgiving offering. Maybe it was the smell and the sound of the hot radiators in the sanctuary first fired up for the season. Maybe it was the music. Maybe it was the offering. Maybe it was being home from college and seeing old friends. But I always felt, I always felt especially joyful and generous on that day. How do you think the church should encourage giving? Most of you know the history of the East Chestnut Street Cast Iron Missionary Bank. I don't know how successful it was in, in increasing offerings, but I know that it was a clever visual reminder to save your coins and give to missions. I don't have a 21st century substitute for the Cast Iron Bank, but there must be something we could think of. Probably giving apps for our smartphones will become very popular. Whatever we do, we must teach our children the importance of giving. What motivates you to continue giving? The basic stewardship principle that everything belongs to God makes giving easy. God will get it all back. It's just a matter of how and when. We should never hold money too tightly. Well, I grew up in Willow Street, but I went to Strasburg Mennonite Church. And Peggy tell me you grew up. This house. Never moved out of it. Born and still there. I grew up in Willow Street, but I went to Strasburg Mennonite Church. And every Sunday, Dad gave me and my brothers and sisters a nickel to put into the collection box at Sunday school, saving and sharing with others I had the answer for. Uh, I can remember there was two men and they came to our back porch door and they brought a suitcase. I don't remember, I think it was a suitcase of small items that they went around to try and get neighborhood women to buy. And like bread or shoestrings or anything small. And then after they uh, tried to sell you something, they asked if it had something to eat. And we always made homemade bologna at home. So I know that was one thing mom made. She made a sandwich and made bologna. And I'm not sure what else, but that was something they enjoyed and they got that piece to their real motive for coming, I think. Aside of earning a little money, was getting something to eat. 
And uh, to me, that was generosity in my mom's part that she wasn't, she, they got some food. Did she invite them in the house or did they? No, play? they stayed outside. They didn't come in the house. There's a bench out there and a porch that they sat on. Parents, they would hand me some money whenever every morning I went to church when I was a kid uh, uh, growing up. I was to put a little money in that basket when I was asking. I knew that I was an important part of the service. I was told I, I was told that. I happened to be the treasurer of this household because when we got married, Satan said, you can keep the books. I don't enjoy that. And I'll have enough to do out at the bar. So I didn't mind because I took the business course in high school. And so I enjoyed bookkeeping. And he came in and he was tired. He needed to write checks out. So I wrote the checks right. Right. And then I would ask him how much we should give to something. He'd say, that's up to you. You keep the books. You know how much money we have. You just write down what you think we can give. So it was hard for me to pick out any one or any few because I was the kind of person that knew about all these organizations, churches, what have you. And so it was easy for me to decide what we ought to give and what we ought to give because I knew I kept a checking account and I knew when there was money in the in the bank. So I listed some and I couldn't take a few out. I took a EMM, which is Eastern Mennonite Mission, and Mennonite Mission Work Work Network, the Mennonite Disaster Service, uh, Water Street Mission. MCC, Bridge of Code, United Disabilities. That was a, a, a place in Lancaster that helped disabled people. It happened to be a place where Jesse Charles worked. Jesse had a, a part of the budget because he fell when he was young and they hired him. So I, I, I think they're in good hands there and doing a good job. So I had that one. Child evangelism. Tabor, Beshalom, Arbor Place, Nazareth Project, Habitat for Humanity, Drivers, that's a, a disability for children, and Advos, and Carter Center, Red Cross, it's Jenny and Friends and Salvation Army, to name a few. It was hard. Be hard for me to say that one is more needed than another. So, since I had the books and I knew how much money we had, when the appeals came, I didn't always send them to every appeal because if we sent too many times a year, I didn't think that was quite fair that one got all the money. So that's that's how I decided who we give to. When I would see her list, I would think, "Good job, you're doing great." <laughs> Good share with those that are in need. I'm not a 
person that thinks everything has to come my way. Or our way, I should say. Or the kind that wants to share. I'm very thankful that I'm able to share. Have the means to do that. And I feel I need to do that. Well, we've been blessed by giving, and it helps the health problems that arise. We continue to want to give as long as we have our health and, and have ability and have money. We've been blessed and we have the ability and we're glad that we can share. Well, I think it's easier for us to give now than it was when we were younger. Because when we were younger, we were dairy farmers. And we lived on a fixed income if we wanted to meet all the obligations that went with dairy farming. And we weren't a big, big operation in that respect, so we didn't have a lot extra. But when they retired from the dairy farm, he went into the post office as a mailman. Even though he was past retirement age, he couldn't retire. He needed something to do. And so when he had that money coming in and we had some retirement income coming in, it was easier for us to give because we knew for sure what was coming in. Where when we were in the dairy farm and had to make it be profitable, we had to be a little more cautious in how we gave because the margin wasn't big. For us in the dairy business, it's very, very big. You had to have a couple hundred cows, and we only had 45. That's the way I answered that well, question. I, I had the extra income, good income, I thought, from the mill route. And it was something I enjoyed doing. Did it quite a few years. Not quite sure how I got through that. <laughs> and still got the other children on, but it, it was it was good years. Good years. Forget it. I think I like the way Chester Tree is set up. They have commissions. And each commission is responsible responsible for some area in our church life. And so it's it, it is easy, I think, for those commissions at the beginning of the year to say, this is what I need to carry out these responsibilities. And then we have a stewardship group that I think we need. I think we need that in every church. The stewardship group is appointed by people that are good at handling money and hopefully know where the best places are to give your money. And so I think uh, we should respect them. I always look to them as, as someone that knew what the best places were. If I had something I wanted to suggest, I would. But I pretty much depend on the level and the people of the stewardship commission. 
Well, now I think there's some that would have an, one thing they thought had to be supported, but that's okay. But then I think the George Commission has the right to decide if and when we give to who and where. <laughs> so I like the way East Chestnut Street handles our, our, our giving. It's not controlled by one man. I wasn't aware, but years back, Mennonite Mission Network and Eastern Mennonite Mission drummed up the support for people serving under those respective missions. But now I know they were on behind in that respect because other mission board says the recipients or the missionaries, they must get the money and turn it into the mission board. The mission board doesn't get get it and give it to them. And I wasn't aware of that. So that's the way that is. But I think sometimes some people thought that that mission network was a network. It was over all the people in the country. And that's not true. They had their countries that they want to support. And EMM has their countries. So you must send the missionaries must drum up their own support for the country they're serving in and turn it into the mission board. Well, always spend and always give when you are able. And to do that, I think we need to be people that buy quality things so that and do the right practices so that it yields a good return. Don't, don't spend before you have the money for something. But when you do have the money, buy quality. That's gonna last you so that you don't continue to spend over and over again. So buy quality uh, is what she's saying. Mm -hmm. And I agree. It's not always done that way. We already had four cars, but Clayton didn't need a Cadillac. <laughs> Careful what you're saying. <laughs> I don't want the Ford company up over the other car companies, but if it's true, we, we aren't out there to impress. DLC, remember? <laughs> DLC? And that's right up there. Sandwich. <laughs> it's a made in lettuce sandwich. That's Satan. And mine is ice cream. Thank you, Dottie and Clayton. I'm going to end with finishing out the words from that song from the Medical Mission Sisters. So, God loves a cheerful giver. Give it all you got. He loves to hear you laughing when you're in an awkward spot. When the odds add up against you, it's time to stop and sing. Praise God. To praise him is a joyous thing. Amen.